Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2. We'll all gather back together around 10.30 for our worship time, but let's head to Genesis. While the folk are turning there, let me just see if I can wake you up who are staying in the auditorium. Name a food item that people are often allergic to. Peanuts is going to be there. Nuts in general. Coconut should be there. Okay, it should be there. Okay, what else are people allergic to? Seafood is going to... Your wife. No, food. 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 I don't, want, I don't want to do more marriage counseling here this week. Okay. Don't say your spouse. Dairy products. Here's what they, the survey said. Soy, wheat, dairy was there, shellfish, and number one was nuts. Bonus items. Anybody want to guess? Get extra points. There's coconut's part of it. Scrapple's the other part of it. I just got to be. Just got to be there. Okay. Name an item you buy at a carnival. A food item. This is a food item. Popcorn's going to be there. Cotton candy's going to be there. Oh, I think you've got them all. Okay, ice cream, snow cones, popcorn, kettle corn, funnel cake, corn dog, hot dog, cotton candy. Here's one for you. What pieces of furniture do you put together yourself? Bookshelves are there. You put together a TV? Oh, my word. What else do you got? Entertainment center, bookcase, bookshelf is going to be there. Table's going to be there. If you shop Ikea, you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff. Here's what they had. Bunk beds or bed frames, swing, bookshelves, chair or bench, and number one was table or desk. Name something many people do not want to do. Be careful what you, how you answer this. Okay. Name something many people do not want to do on any given Sunday. Get out of bed is up there. Work is, I think, up there. Go ahead. What, are you going to, what would most people say? Go to church is going to be everybody's hesitant. They think I'm going to use them in a sermon illustration if they say it. Okay, cooking I think is up there. You got anything else? Yeah, I don't think it's up there, but it's a good one. Okay, here's what anything kind of covers it all, doesn't it? Okay, cooking, going to church, chores, going to work, and getting up early. Name some of the major topics that are going to be this part, part of this year's elections. Abortion's going to be there. Inflation's going to be one. Border's going to be one. Inflation, gas, prices, taxes. Okay. Here's, here's, here's what... Uh, these aren't... Uh, these are just taken from the major topic surveys of what people are concerned with uh, right at this point. Um, Ownership and guns. We're going to talk about the, bo- the bottom two the next this week and next. And some of it you already know. i got to tell you, quite honestly, it's like, why do I even have to talk about transgender? It's just, why do we even have to talk about abortion? It's so evident. But just some information, and then I want to expand upon something else as well. But you know, let's finish out where we were, okay? In your notes, if I've given it to you, um, if you picked them up, and the guys walked through already, so if you don't have them, then by all means step down and grab some. We've been talking about the last couple of weeks, what about the issue of homosexuality? What does the Bible say? It's not what do the polls say, it's what does the Bible say? And we gave you 10 different reasons based on Scripture, or uh, 10 different observations based on Scripture, from why they would be viewed in a negative way all the way to the positive aspect, that the positive is that it can be forgiven and we should be sharing the gospel with those individuals. We should not be decrying the individuals who are involved with it to the point that we drive them away from the gospel. We can decry the sin, but we have to be very, very careful. And I've told you the illustration that I find is a heinous way of doing church, of uh, the evangelist who visited a church, a friend of mine who was up in the New York area, and he had an evangelist in, and the evangelist had, the, had a um, part of a message that he preached, and in the course of the message, he would uh, mock the, those who were of a homosexual persuasion, and he would, he would prance with a tiptoe, and just his demeanor, his voice, and everything was very, very ridiculing. Well, being in an audience where everybody was of the same mind, it was funny. Except for the pastor had invited a a couple of folk that he's been trying to reach with the gospel who happened to be a partnership, and they came to the service. 
And so the pastor told the evangelist, whatever you do, don't, don't, don't carry on like that. I don't appreciate you carrying on and mocking and ridiculing in such a way. Just share the gospel. Share the truth. It's a sin like any other sins that needs to be forgiven by Christ. And so right before they got up, and this sometimes happens, I've had the experience where an evangelist will say to me, you know, do you see any visitors here? Do you see anything? And it's like, why? Well, I'm trying to determine what I'm going to preach. And it's like, well, just preach whatever, you know, what, what you've been praying about the whole day. Preach it. And so he uh, leaned over, he asked the pastor, and the pastor said, well, you know, that one, he asked him particularly, is that one, uh, your friends here that you try to get in a Bible study? And he said, yeah, they're here. And so the evangelist right away in the sermon went right away into literally prancing across the auditorium and mocking. And how, you know, and just exaggerating the situation. And everybody thought it was funny. Well, the, the couple that was there, they got up and walked out. And as they're walking out, the evangelist said, see if you can't take it. They don't even want to hear the word of God. This just shows how, how depraved people are, that they won't even listen to the word of God when we're trying to speak the truth. The evangelist immediately, I mean, sorry, the pastor immediately went over to their house after the service and tried to mend the fences and the door was open and slammed in his face. And from inside, the yell was, we will never, ever again listen to anybody about the Bible. Now, I'm not approving of that lifestyle. But I disapprove of trying to berate, embarrass, put down individuals in that sense. And um, we can talk about the sin, but I don't imagine Christ conducting himself and sharing the gospel that way. It just doesn't seem that way in scriptures. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to end up this, this discussion, which leads right into the next one, with just a couple different thoughts. We had ended up last week, what do you do? If you have a coworker, if you have a classmate, if you have a child, a grandchild who's engaging into this lifestyle, what do you do? What do you say? How far do you go in relationships? And I'm going to base this, and there's tensions in scriptures about separation at the same time, not isolation. And so going back and saying, okay, how did Christ relate to sinners? What do we know from scriptures? Okay, he loved them. He ate with them. Did he, did he rebuke them? Did he point out their sins? Yes. Did he, what did he ask the sinners to do that he was dealing with? Okay, to repent. Okay. Did he call them out for some sins that they were tolerating? Oh, absolutely. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Did, did he get real blunt with them? If your eye offend you. Okay, so we, we know that the Lord, the Lord himself, if we just say, okay, Jesus lived a sinful life. We're all going to be in agreement with that. Okay, he never condoned sin. Just never condoned it. Even though he may not have particularly dealt with a specific sin, he did not condone sin in general. He just made it very clear. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? His righteousness, okay, and then calling people to a high standard. He never overlooked even the sins with, uh, within his own disciples. He was very quick to rebuke them for their lack of compassion or their pride or their arrogance and, or their lack of faith, um, as well as the other individuals. And yet at the same time, did he reach out to sinners? Did he go to where they were at? He did. He did. Okay, he didn't stay right in the temple all the time. He, he got out and ministered to those individuals. And at times he came in, clo clo uh, in close contact with them. He's accused, even by his enemies, of sitting and eating with publicans and sinners. It was the Pharisees who were of the mindset, we don't want to have any social contact at all with those who do not agree with us 100%. And so um, Jesus gives us that example that, that even though there's contact, he made sure that they understood there needs to be repentance. He, pre -preach, uh, he preached from the very beginning. Matthew, Mark. Mark records the very first words of Jesus as these words, repent and believe. And so we have that idea that Jesus, as they said, no man ever spake like this man. While he's pointing out sin, 
He's giving them that hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And uh, even talking to people, dealing with people that the Pharisees wouldn't even deal with. And yet we know this, that never, not everyone responded positively to what Jesus said. Do you remember any illustration, any example, I should say, of individuals who heard Jesus and walked away? The rich man, the rich young ruler, he didn't like what Jesus said, who, by the way, Jesus was very pointed about whose sin? His own. Remember? Because he said, uh, what do you think? The man came and said, what do I do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, basically, you'll keep the law. And what did the rich young man respond? I am. Yeah, basically, I'm keeping it. And then what did Jesus do? Sell everything. Why? What was he doing? He was dealing with that man's issue. Very pointedly. And then that man walks away. And do you remember what it says about how he walked away? Sad, sorrowful, and grieving. Grieving. Um, did any, uh, any others walk away from Jesus? Read through John 6. John 6 is his message to all the people who followed him because he, he gave food. And they came because he was providing for them. And in that passage, he's talking about you need to die to yourself. You need to give him uh, glory and live for him. And it says, after that, many of his disciples walked no more with him. The bulk of people walked away because his preaching was... Yeah, remember they say in the passage, this is a what saying? This is a hard saying. So Jesus was very blunt, and yet he was very compassionate. And so when people say, what do we do with this? How do we respond? Let's take the Lord's example. How that plays out in, in what you do, I'm, I'm going to claim ignorance because your situation may be a little bit different than somebody else's. I'm not sure of God's set will beyond calling out sin and showing compassion, I'm not sure how that plays out in every scenario, in every situation that you have to decide. Um, uh, were you, how you handle that. Um, some of you are going to get this one. This, somebody asked me just a couple weeks ago. Somebody said, what do we do if at work, we're asked at work to participate in doing things that are really uncomfortable, like... Um, uh, I was sharing with you my sister-in-law. She was supposed to be teaching other managers toleration of um, the homosexuals, transgenders, and that was going to become her job. Some of you are going to be in those spots. And as a believer, you go, I, I, you're asking me to do something that is a violation of my religious convictions. You know, I can work with somebody, but do I have to promote and approve some of their lifestyle, which has no business in the workplace, but it's becoming the business of the workplace. Okay. Um, can I pose something to you as a passage to think about? When Daniel was asked to do something that was wrong, how did Daniel respond? What's that? Okay. One, he wasn't going to get involved with eating the foods, but what else did he do? What's that? He had an alternative. He posed an alternative that... Uh, in a, and how did he propose that? In what demeanor? Okay. Was he respectful in, in promoting it? Read the text. Read where he comes and he is extremely careful. He's respectful. But he comes up and says, hey, here's an alternative way of dealing with it. And part of the reason that he gets a positive response is... It's unstated, but how did he live? Oh, his reputation. I think that's... His reputation carried weight, even as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. His reputation carried weight with uh, those who were over him. And so I think there's, there's um, lessons to be learned that at times we're asked in an environment what to do. Some of the response, some of the response may be, be wise... Make sure you're godly. Be wise. Pose some alternatives. Yeah. And if you're asked to do something, you may have to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that if you're still asked, and they were in the environment. What's kind of strange is they were right there in a place where there was false worship being taken, taking place. They were in the environment. And what did they do? Everybody's supposed to bow down. 
They didn't do it. They didn't violate their convictions, even to whatever it cost them. They ended up in the fiery furnace. You know that. So there's different examples in scriptures that can help us to say, okay, how do we, how do we handle this? And it's tough. It's going, to, it's going to be difficult. And it's going to get uh, even more difficult in the days ahead. I, I wanted to pause and do this. We're dealing with this sin of temptation, of homosexuality. And it, this goes with any other type of uh, addiction, whether it be, or actually any other sin, whether it be uh, substance addiction, whether it be an anger addiction, whether it be some type of sexual addiction. Um, how, do you, how does somebody deal with these? What would you tell somebody to do? To counsel them if they're saying I'm struggling in this realm, and and, and it, by the it, it, it's it's basically how would you help somebody to deal with any sin that's besetting? Any ideas from Scripture? What would you tell them to do? What's that? Okay, okay, get away from it, or put it away from you. Okay. Get yourself away from it. Okay. Any other thoughts? Ron? Okay. Okay. They have to make sure that this individual. Okay. You're, gonna, you're talking with them. We want to make sure that they know the Lord. Without the Lord, there is no victory. There's no victory. They need the Lord. Okay. Can I, can I just throw some passages at you that may be helpful? For, they've got to confess. We're dealing with a believer. They've got to confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to... Forgive us and to... Okay, that's an ongoing... The, the one forgiving is once and done. The cleansing is an ongoing action. That he's going to cleanse us from that. Um, this might... Mike, this probably goes with you. Make no provision for the flesh. Kind of what you said. Is um, We had an individual years and years and years ago here at the church who was uh, dealing with alcoholism. He lived above a bar. What's the chance of overcoming... It was slim to none. It was slim to none. Uh, because even if he wanted not to go down, the, all the noise was coming up through the floor. And so it was just a constant temptation on those Friday, Saturday evenings and other nights of the week. And so our, our repeated you know, concerns was, you should move. You should move. Get away from it. Okay. Um, do you remember Jesus talking to the disciples? What does he tell them to do? Pray that you... You fall not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but... Yeah, okay, so there's got to be prayer. There's got to be the memorization of Scripture. That word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And again, this is any sin. This is anything that you might be dealing with. Memorize Scripture that deals with it. Confess your faults one to another. That is the Catholic's verse that they use to say we need to go and confess to the priest. Please don't come to my office this week and confess all your sins. Okay, that's not what this passage means. This passage doesn't mean confess so I can give you absolution. The passage means the idea of, hey, if I'm struggling, I might go to somebody and say, hey, Larry, this is a battle. Can you, you know, keep this in confidence, but pray with me? Pray with me and keep me accountable. Keep me accountable. It's, it's huge. Um, the, these two passages work together. We're in Second Corinthians 10, bringing into captivity every imagination of the thoughts continually. The idea of getting our mind under control. Philippians 4 says, whether there be virtue, praise, etc., etc., etc. Think on these things. So in other words, fill your mind with the good stuff. Okay? So if you're tempted... Um, this is going to sound like a silly illustration to you. But for me, when I, when I first got saved, okay, I've got to get away from certain things. Uh, cussing and cursing was, was a huge issue. One of the things that would put me in the mind, in the frame of mind, to be there was the music that I was used to. That, that, again, some of you, it's, it sounds so weird. But if I would listen to the music that I was really used to doing, it would put me in a state of mind of just being back in that environment, that mindset. And it was far easier to all of a sudden want to be with those guys who were doing the drinking or doing the cussing and carrying on. And so for me, one of the things I had to shift in my own life was what music I was listening to. 
Otherwise, it would play into my mind and memory and put me back there. The same thing can be about TV shows. Certain TV programs. Um, I don't mean to be risque. If somebody is, somebody's struggling with porn, why are they watching one of those programs like Naked and Afraid on TV? Why would you do that? You know, you're just, you're just feeding into the flesh. And so um, the idea of changing, this is uh, resist the devil. Uh, he will flee from you, draw an eye to God. In other words, just don't. Do you remember that old, that old uh, ad that used to say about drugs? Just say, yeah, yeah. And then this is the idea. Remember Ephesians 4.22? Put off the old man, put on the new. The principle of replacement is change. Fill in your time with different things. Instead of your time where it was, you know, cruising the strip in Lebanon, where there was opportunity to do the drugs or whatever. Instead of cruising the strip, get busy, go and do something else. Go visit some people in a rest home. They probably don't have drugs. Well, maybe they have drugs there, but um, they're probably not selling them. But fill, change, change. Now, this applies to everybody and anybody, but let's get into this one. And I've got to tell you, there's terminology I've never understood. I've been doing research, and it's like, what does it mean? What's it, who is a transgender male? I'm confused. Is that a guy or a gal that became somebody? So, so yeah, and, and now there's, you're supposed to use different words than gender. I'm sorry. I'm old school. I'm stuck in my ways. I'm using gender. Okay, just because you understand. Gender in my mind is, is the re, what we are by birth. So if that gives a definition, let's jump into some things. There is no single verse that addresses this specifically. Why not? <laughs> there's no, yeah, it's like somebody saying, there's no single verse that talks about speeding with your car. Duh. You know, the chariots didn't go that fast. It just, you know, it, it just wasn't there. And so... There are a bunch of verses. So join me and let's start and just work our through, work our way through. And by the way, this is an important issue. Um, does this affect Bible-believing churches? Yes. Has it affected our church? Yes. Yes. There are some folk who have grown up in our church that have shifted into different lifestyles. And so where do we, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? And again, it's like, I don't, I, I don't want to be talking about this. It just seems so common sense. But for you to be able to counsel, to deal with, let me, let's just walk together. Let's work through several passages of Scripture that, um, again, if you go on the Internet, you are not going to find conservative articles until you get into, like, the fourth, fifth page on this one. If you do a typical Google search... And if you put down, what does the Bible say this way? What does the Bible say about transgender? It wasn't until the third and a half or fourth page that I found a conservative article. Everything else is going to say the Bible allows for it. The Bible condones it. Okay, so you and I taking our Bible, let's go to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, it is the account of... Okay, let's just start there. Let's just start there without being silly about the text. Just to work our way through. Go down to verse 26. Let us make man in our image after likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. What's verse 27 say? The rest of it. Male and female created he him. Uh, them And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be what? Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fall of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, etc., 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 and to every beast of the earth, to every fowl, to everything, I have given every green herb for meat. And so it was so. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. It was very good in the evening, the morning, with the sixth day. Just talking from that text alone, 
let's make some very obvious uh, conclusions. God created mankind. Okay? We didn't evolve. God created. Okay? Now, again, I'm going to give you a presentation from a, Bible, a conservative Bible point of view. Is this going to be persuasive with everybody we talk to? No, because this very first one, what do a lot of people believe? Okay, so I'm talking to the audience, but what I'm trying to help you and me to be able to have a biblical response, okay? When God created, he made both male and female. We all take that, yes? Okay. When God created, he made only two genders. We're going to agree with that, yes? Okay, there wasn't a third gender. There's not an it or whatever, okay, or a mixed thing. Okay, he made them to complement one another physically, socially, emotionally, spiritually. Yes? Okay, do, do they complement each other socially? Yeah, it is not good for a man to be alone. That's in chapter 2 where he repeats some of the story and fills in the blanks. Are they complementary physically? Biologically, they're complementary. For what purpose? Procreation. Okay, we understand that. He made them sexually compatible and thus to procreate the species. We know, therefore, and this is critical in my, from my perspective, both genders, both genders are valuable and necessary. Okay? We should never, and I'm jumping ahead, we should not diminish either gender, which is part of the problem here is I don't want to be this gender because it's not good. It was, when God created, it was very good. It was very good. Both and only these two genders were part of God's plan for all ages. The reason I say that is this whole creation account is, cre- is repeated by Jesus hundreds of years later. And Jesus says this is the way it was. God created male and female. This same passage is created, I'm sorry, is quoted in Ephesians 5 when it talks about how we are to live in the church age, husbands and wives. Okay, and it's, it refers back to creation, how God created and made the comment in Genesis 2 that he, and I'm jumping text, so if you go forward, Genesis 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his, and they shall become, okay, so that principle is an ageless principle. It's not something that we say, oh, it was only to the Old Testament. Be careful. This is the way this argument goes. People say, well, that was way back then and we don't follow. But this principle is transdispensational, theological terms. It is the idea this is for all ages. Jesus repeated it, and it was repeated in the church age, which is where we live in today. So that God created two genders, and these two genders were compatible, and they were supposed to be partners for uh, the propagation of mankind. And keep in mind, all of this that we've said was before the fall. This is the way God created it before the fall. Now, did sin disrupt some of this? Yes, but this is all pre-fall. And this was all very good. This idea of a male and female, compatibility, procreation, uh, the two genders, very, very good. That idea that both genders equally are considered by God to be very important, very profitable, and there's only two genders. That's all God mentions that he created, two genders, male and female, period. There isn't... Anybody know the terms for the non-gender? I don't either. I just, it, it just confuses me. Then jump to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 builds right upon Genesis 1. 1 Corinthians 11. In 1 Corinthians 11, he is writing to a church that has a lot of confusion in it and a lot of difficulties. And he's going to write, starting with verse 1, Be followers of me as I am of Christ. We understand that. And then he says, I praise you, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, verse 2, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. Okay? This is a critical verse, verse 3. Uh, I take that every verse is critical, but this is just such an in-depth verse. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is... And I keep on, every time we come to that verse, I bring this out. Orderliness 
does not, is not the same as less valuable. Christ is equal to God in godness, and yet within the order of the Trinity, the Christ is following the Father. The idea that male and female, that the head of the man is the woman, doesn't mean that she's less valuable or not worth much. It just means orderliness. And it's just it's a, such an important text. Because we are often accused of saying that order in the home where the male is to lead and the lady is to follow, we're accused of saying we're diminishing the value of ladies. And we're not. We're saying both are valuable. She is really valuable uh, because she completes the man. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman that prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors, uh, dishonors her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her be shorn, etc., etc. We're, we're jumping down, verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. What's he mean by that? What, what is he referring to in verse 8? Create, uh, initial creation. Initial creation. Okay, Eve was taken from... Okay, initial creation is what, verse 8. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman was created because it is not good that he should... Okay, she was the helpmeet. Then he goes, for this cause ought the woman to have power uh, on her head because the angels, nevertheless, neither is the man without, a woman, without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. What's he mean by that? There's, there's mutual dependence. But, uh, but the real specific is, since, crea- since the initial creation, do men need a mother? Yes? No? Okay. So there has to be that. There's mutual dependence between the genders. Neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man also by the woman, specifically by birth, but all things of God. Let's stop there and see what he's just done. This author, generations later, is accepting creation. Okay, he is, and again, this is where we are. We're accepting the creation. There are only two genders mentioned in the text. Referring years later, there's still just two genders. It didn't change over the culture. He's making it very clear. And he's saying that in God's design, that man was elevated over the woman in role, in responsibility, okay, in some duties, and he's making that very clear. He advocates that both genders need each other. That they are still, there's an innate value in the, in the female gender, innate value within the male gender. Codependent. Necessary. Both are important. Both genders are equally valuable and necessary in the Lord. As he says, Eve was first formed. Since then, every man has come from a woman. The bottom line is both genders are important and good. Usually, not all the time, but usually from the counseling books that I've been picking up, usually transgendered individuals are struggling that they think that their gender is less than the other gender. Biblically speaking, is that true? No. No. Both genders are highly valuable. Neither gender is bad or of less value. Do some cultures, because of the sinfulness of cultures, are there some cultures that have changed this biblical concept? Yes. Are there some cultures today that say that the woman is inferior innately to the man in all ways? Yeah, and that's just not true. That's just not true. Okay. Um, so let's do another passage that most of you are familiar with, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Most of you are familiar with this text, and it's a beautiful, beautiful text. In the whole passage, he's talking about God being there all the time. He cannot hide from God in the heights nor the depths, that God is ever, ever, ever present. And like in verse 8, If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, your hand will lead me. You're there all the time. 
Okay, the darkness, verse 11, shall not cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Uh, the darkness hides me not. It's just the idea of the omnipresence of God, the awareness of God. And so he's doing all this praising about the awareness of God, and he breaks out talking about how God is intimately aware of him. We're jumping down to verse 13. For you possessed my reins, you covered me when? In my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am... Marvelous are all thy works, and my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What's he referring to? When I was being put together in the lowest parts of the earth. The mother's womb. The mother's womb, once again. Okay, Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. What's that mean? Okay, while, while we were still in the womb, and we weren't fully developed physically, God was fully aware of us. Okay, And he says, And in your book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I were to just just complete our uh, right conclusions. The psalmist praises God for his complete awareness and constant attention. That's the theme of this chapter. God is aware of me all the time. God has given me constant attention. Uh, In verse 13, you may want to mark this, where it starts off in the very beginning of verse 13. In the Hebrew, the emphatic word is you. For thou, for you, very strongly in the Hebrew. You possessed, he starts off with the idea that, that you were the one that, that had me covered, all my reins, all my abilities, inabilities. He says that God has a complete plan for him. In your books, you know, there was things written. In other words, God has a, um, um, a design book, an owner's manual for you, that God has some awareness of how he wanted you to be, And according to his books, you were made. You were designed this way. And some of us, we look and we say, well, God, maybe your book missed a page or two. Or maybe there was somebody, you know, maybe when the angel took something out like hair, you know, and it was deleted. He's saying, oh, no, that there was a plan here. God superintended every detail. That's, That's the gist of this text. Every detail God superintended, even before the person was born. He's talking about this whole idea, including all the members. He, he makes that comment in verse 16 where he says, um, And in thy book all my members were written and are in continuance to this day. That all your members, several different scholars have several different interpretations. All the members could be all my days. Maybe that's what he's referring to. All my days were written down. Does God know all of our days? Okay, he, he knows when we're going to die. He knows all of our days. Or could it mean all my future activities? That's a possibility. God knows, does God know what our tomorrow holds? Yeah, he does. Okay. Or this is a possibility. All my members are all my abilities or inabilities, personality, skills, whatever it may be, physical design. Okay, whether I would need glasses or not need glasses, whether I'd have hair or not have hair, how tall, how wide I would be or become. Okay, all of that is written down in this possibility that God is fully aware. And by the way, this isn't just David, the only one who says this. There's other prophets. Next week we'll see how Isaiah refers to this as well. But Jeremiah talks about the first thing, before I form thee in the belly, that we are designed, that God has the plan for us. We go a little bit further. This is a conclusion now. God has a design, all of our members. God knew whether I'd be male or female. And God designed me that way. God designed the individuals with their, with their initial gender. So our assigned genders are assigned are from God. Our assigned genders have to complement our assigned physical gender. Does this make sense? Okay. Because the argument is my assigned gender does not fit my body gender. Therefore, I want to change body genders. God makes no mistake. God makes no mistake. God is not the author of confusion. God doesn't stick a male inside of a female body just to... 
have variety. That that would be contrary to God's design of, of orderliness. And so what we do is God has a lifelong plan for us to follow the assignment so we become all he wants us to be. God designed me from in the womb to be a male, giving me male qualities, male abilities. And to become all that I'm supposed to be, I ought not change that maleness or I'm not going to be what God designed me to be. Does that make sense? Okay, you may not agree, but does it make sense? Okay, to consider changing your gender is to do what? You're saying God made a mistake. You're saying God made a mistake. Or you're going to go against what God has designed. It's one of those two. It's one of those two that, that just basically, that's, that's the issue. That's the conclusion from a biblical point of view. So the facts are real simple. The Bible and simple science indicate there are only two genders. Okay? And everyone born is physically one or the other. Simple science indicates that when they're birthed. Or even, you know, the uh, ultrasounds and stuff. They can tell, male or female. Okay, it's, just, it's basic science, just simple science. When fashioning us in the womb, God assigned us our gender. Both genders are good and valuable. Neither makes one lesser of a person or of, of less value. When God assigned us, he made no mistake. Our, as believers, our bodies belong to God, not to us. Therefore, we have no right to change the gender he assigned us. Going a little bit further, okay? As believers, we, this passage says we are to be thankful and content in the way he designed us. There's, there's a lesson here in this passage for me. Be content that your eyes were not as good as most people's. God made no mistake. Be content. I'm not trying to be silly. I'm just trying to use an illustration. Be content that you don't have hair as much as other people. God made no mistake. My tuft is not a bad thing. Okay? Be content that I am the height that I am and not six foot five to play basketball. Learning to be, be content that I don't have the musical abilities that somebody else has. That's okay. Is that a struggle for us? As teenagers, is that a difficulty? Yeah, we all want, as teenagers, didn't we all want to change? I wanted to be, you know, better looking than I was. I wanted to be more athletic than I was. You know, you know th- th- there's, those issues are, are part of growing up. But the bottom line is, God makes no... What is floating down from the ceiling here? Wowzy. Okay. <laughs> Changing body parts doesn't change one, one's... This, this is very interesting. Changing body parts doesn't in, change God's inherent gender qualities that he put within you. Innate gender design differences, physical and unique abilities, do not change by simply saying you're a different gender or by taking drugs or having some external surgical alterations. For, for example, um, this sounds very crass, but do you realize that in 100 years from now, if the, if the Lord tarries, your body's going to decompose. If nobody has a name on that gravestone, they're going to dig you up. And if they look at your remains, what are they going to determine? If, if all they have is bones, what are they going to determine? They're going to determine gender based on... Bone structure. It's innate. Males and females have a different bone structure. Yes? Hip structures are different. Good thing. Yes. Yes, here you go. Transgender men. Again, this is always... Which one's which? These are ladies who want to be men. They can still have babies. Okay? Why? Because innately, they're a woman. Okay, transgender woman, it can't happen. Don't don't let somebody fool you and say, well, they're already doing the you know um, the research of cha- changing and inserting the uterus. None of that has been successful to point this point. None of it, none of it. It's it, it's it's just contrary. Yeah, it's just contrary. Uh, you know, just being able to nurture the child. There's just so many. It's just it's bizarre. 
the innate design, bone structures. Okay? So you keep on going with this and say changing body parts doesn't change God's standard for morality. Okay? Well, by that I mean by the Bible, we've already talked about, the Bible condemns same-sex relationships. Okay? By saying, well, I'm a, I'm a gal, therefore I can't. That doesn't make it right. Going a step further, Bible condemns men dressing and behaving like women and vice versa. We have passages like this. The woman should not wear that which pertains unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination. Okay, your response might be, but that's Old Testament. New Testament, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, homosexuals. It's still condemned. It's still condemned. In fact, we are to maintain common distinctions. Physical distinctions are to be maintained. Do you remember 1 Corinthians? Doesn't nature teach you itself that if a man has long hair, it's a shame unto him, but if a woman has long hair, it's her glory? Okay, there's, there's just some innate things that the Bible encourages us to follow. To get involved in transgender lifestyle goes contrary to the principles of God's Word. So we, answer, we bring up some questions. The big issue that's being done in schools right now is um, two little boys. Let's, let's take two first-grade boys. These two first-grade boys, they want to be together all the time. They want nothing to do with the girl sitting over here. Therefore, the teacher or whoever can say, well, you two boys are so boy-drawn to each other, that must mean you're gay. It's first grade. It's first grade. In first, second, third, fourth grade, girls have cooties. Right? You don't want to do anything with a girl. And then all of a sudden, bingo! All of a sudden, they are like, whoa... What is that? It's normal social development that now we're claiming and changing and saying to these guys, this is all bizarre. It's not bizarre. Frankly, when my kids were that age, I didn't want the boys to be interested in the girls and vice versa. Yeah, it's just, it's just they're not ready. They're not emotionally ready. They're not socially ready. They're just, it's just normal kid stuff. Okay, by, by the way, the, the, I'll tell you something very... Is incest vulgar? How come my girls wanted to marry me? When they were little, guess who they wanted to marry? Everybody wants to marry Wayne. No. Uh, <laughs> was that normal for my six-year-old, four-year-old to say, Daddy, I want to marry you and stay with you forever? Does that mean, oh, we should be in an incestuous relationship? Are you serious? How silly does this get? How perverted does this get? Okay. It's just, it's, it's just so bizarre. Okay. Other important questions consider. When does simple, obvious science facts no longer apply? When does simple biology that say male organ, female organs, male and female? Why is it gone? I have an answer why it's doing this. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, it gives us an answer. Why is this science even considered this idea of simple science being thrown out the window? Romans chapter 1, jump down to about verse 22. It's talking about the, how sin came into, the, into the, uh, mankind. Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? They became fools. And then later on, what do we have? Verse 26. God gave them up to their vile affections. And what's our other phrase where God um, uh, gave them over? Verse 28. Gave them over to a what kind of mind? Reprobate mind. Does sin bring on stupidity? Absolutely. Absolutely. He might allow, how might allowing, here's, here's the thought. How am I allowing transgenders to have the opportunity to enter opposite gender bathrooms and locker rooms and camps? Okay, yeah, okay, so some pervert says, I'm a girl, and now I can go into the girl locker rooms. I can go into the girl camp rooms. Where, Where is the security and the privacy for those people? There isn't any. It's so bizarre. 
How might this affect prison populations? How might this affect hospitals? Where does this go in sports programs? Okay, I don't get this. I don't get why Leah Thomas wins the national championship and no women's rights groups are upset. It makes no sense. The guy slash woman was bound to beat the ladies. Okay, so now does that mean any man who wants to get a gold medal can in any race? You do realize that there's differences in times in races and in most sports competitions. Yes, no? Okay, why aren't the female groups, the women's rights groups, up in arms over this? It makes no sense. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, if biological identity is based on feelings and not based on facts, what if a person feels like an animal? Okay. Okay, the, the furries. The furries. We talked about this a couple weeks ago that we have in our community. Kids going to school and saying they're a cat, they're a dog, therefore they don't have to answer. Okay, okay, fine. If you want that, let me take it to where, where if you want to play this game, which I think is stupid, but if you want to play now, I want to get down to your level. question is, does saying you're an animal make you an animal? And we're all going to say... No, no. But if you want to be an animal, let's treat you like an animal. You don't get a driver's license. That'll stop a lot of it. Okay. What's that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just, okay, you don't get a paycheck. Yeah. No, well, probably some of them, if you say don't go to school, even though I did, they would say, yay! <laughs> um, it's just, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be allowed in public venues unless you have something that, you know, says, okay, this is a seeing eye dog, comfort dog, or something like that. Then you shouldn't be allowed in public. Okay? Shouldn't be allowed in restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. So if you carry it to its, carry it to its ultimate of where this is going. If we base everything on feelings and not facts, what if a person feels like they're God? Do you, see where, do you see how clever Satan is? Feelings determine everything. Well, what if you feel like you're God? Isn't that exactly the fall of the human race? We shall become as God. And so does that idea, does that make them God? This is all, this is all perverted thinking. Dangerous spiritual thinking. Tremendously impacting. Here's, here's a, where you and I need to be. Peace within oneself will not be found in denying who you are. Where is peace found? The person who is struggling with accepting themselves, where's real peace? It's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in following the Lord. It's not in found in denying yourself. Jesus made it clear, if you follow me, I will give you the peace that passes all understanding. It's not a matter of, okay, i got to change who I am. you got to become who God made you to be. There you're going to find that peace and harmony. Now, does, is it tough at times to accept the way God made us? Oh, absolutely. Do we still struggle with it? Yeah, some of us do. But that doesn't mean we deny what God did and blame Him for the situation. We're going to get into another topic. This topic, even though we all know where we stand... I want to revisit it because of where we're at right now. Because the majority of Americans are pro-abortion and a high percentage of evangelical Christians are saying, it's okay. It's okay. Let's revisit the Bible.